Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. Good to have you with us, everybody. It is, again, May 18th. We say that at the beginning of every broadcast. It's May 18th because many of you are dialing in and listing, or excuse me, downloading and listing on a downloaded basis. So we appreciate you tuning in to the broadcast today. We have an exciting topic. Well, you know, some say it's frustrating, it's exciting. They don't know exactly what to think about the, the topic we have today. It's the TRID implementation integration. Everyone's feeling varying degrees of comfortable or uncomfortable with what's coming. And so we're going to be discussing this one more time to help you get ready for what I think is essential uh, or what I believe is going to be very, very important for you to be ready for. I mean, that's what I'm trying to hear. Uh, it has been an interesting amount of technology again this morning. Last week I had thunderstorms that knocked out my uh, all internet here, and I didn't get my internet back until just one hour before the broadcast starts. I was packing up, getting ready to head to another office. Uh, we're having the thunderstorm season roll through Central Texas, and we've been enjoying some of that today. We've had some issues. Some people have struggled to get dialed into the broadcast, but we're glad to have you here with us, and we've got the full crew. And I am excited to get into this topic. Again, we're going to be talking about things that you can do to be prepared and turn the TRID into a strategic advantage. So what are some of the processes that you should be considering? How can you go about it? What can you do to be ready? Looking forward to having that discussion later on in the Hot Topic segment. Again, I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, United Guarantee, who just happens to be the number one. MI industry leader for the fourth consecutive year. They entered the um, the status of that a while back, and it's really getting out just how good they are. It's because of the customer service that they, they provide. There's this thing within the MI world that if you want to impress someone in the MI world, talk about new insurance written, NIW. What's your NIW? And they are the number one within for the fourth consecutive year. In addition to recording the most NIWs, New insurance written for 2014, United Guarantee continues to lead the MI industry with unparalleled customer service, including portfolio, uh, working with provide, excuse me, a 24-hour turnaround on 98% of the full file submissions. So they really have upped their performance when it comes to the full file submissions and encourage you to look at that. It's interesting that NIW, new insurance written, exceeded, 20, excuse me, $42 billion dollars in 2014, successful. So it's no wonder that they're number one with that kind of volume, and we are uh, just thrilled to have them be a sponsor on the broadcast. Go check them out at www.unitedguarantee.com. UGCorp.com. Anyway, also, thank you. Special thank you goes out to our folks at Velma, V-E-L-M-A, stands for Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. They do a good job of getting the word out to all of you. And so without further ado, let's get into the rest of the broadcast. Uh, just get into some of the things. I'm looking at the conferences that are coming up. Not a lot. The secondary conference is going on right now. 
and uh, wish our partner and friend Chuck Klein real well as he presents. I think it's either today or tomorrow. Joe Fart, what's going on in the yeah. markets? I got your website up here and looking at the activity yeah. of the day. And it uh, looks like we've got rates moving north again. What's happening? Well, we're on that roller coaster, Dave. It's uh, been a, a pretty wild ride for the last few weeks. And uh, this morning, we're just on one of the down slopes, and, and we're down 12.30 seconds. You know, uh, it teased us a little bit last Thursday and Friday as, we, as we're as we heading higher. MBS price is not right. And uh, uh, we just kind of hit that down slope again. So... Uh, no, no, no connection to data so far today, and and uh, with a little bit of scary news coming out of Greece, you might expect us to be uh, improving, uh, as there might be a shift to safer assets, but it really hadn't happened. And and the news out of Greece has been uh, sort of dire their ability to make their their default payments. Apparently, they were just barely able to make the one they made last week, and. Probably yeah, won't be able to make any, uh, another one, uh, and they're about to run out of money, and and you know uh, that's going to result in a in a default most most probably, but more importantly, I think it results in them not being able to pay their, you know, the pension obligations and the wages and keep their government running, and uh, you know I, I think maybe we're not seeing a bigger uh, positive impact or shift to safer assets because. Uh, there's less concern about this about Greece and what they might do shifting over to Spain and other countries. Those countries are, are, are showing a little turnaround economically and a little improvement, and uh, and so I don't think that just Greece by itself is a market changing event. Uh, it might have been. That's with those interesting other because it has been. Yeah. It has been market changing, creating a lot of concern. But you know, with them being there, so it's going to become. Less create less volatility for us. Interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. So last week was a, a wild week. You know, we Monday through Thursday we saw prices fall over a point, uh, right at a point, and uh, then we recovered about three quarters of that back, eighty basis points back on Thursday and Friday, and you know none of it day really had was tied to economic news. It, it's just uh, uh, the market trending one direction or the other. It's like the you know the 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 people are uh, all moving in the same direction and and that's exaggerating the movements the uh, yeah and some of this is in spite of economic data you know the early yeah, in the week that, uh, yeah it, it's that you know I was going to say, that's some of the information that's just really interesting to me is the amount of, with the data we've been receiving to see how the market's reacting, it's been it's been mixed to weak, and yet rates seem to higher, which really states, you know, what the overall prevailing thought is, is we're at the bottom and it's heading up. Yeah, rates are too low. Yeah, last week, first part of the week, you know, as I mentioned, we lost a point in price, and, and that was during the time where we got the jolts report was a little below expectation, certainly not strong. Retail sales missed by a lot. Uh, we saw strong three-year and ten-year Treasury auctions. You know, all of that you would expect to be positive for MBS and mortgage rates, but it wasn't. And then Thursday and Friday, things did turn around. Uh, the news coming out then really wasn't the cause of the, the turnaround. Uh, jobless claims might have caused prices to go down a little bit because they were really pretty low. But PPI came in very low. Uh, in fact, for 
the year core PPI is just, I think it's just eight tenths for the year. So it's very, very low uh, inflation levels. Um, industrial production was weak for the second month in a row, and a small increase was expected. And that, you might say, could help rates, but it really didn't. The the movement in rates didn't come as a reaction to the to the uh, economic news, and uh, and so when you look at the week ahead this week, you know I guess it's hard to say you know why do we care when what certain things are coming out, but we should care about the uh, the minutes of the April twenty ninth meeting, the Fed meeting. Yes, will be released at two o'clock on Wednesday and. Uh, that's going to give the markets more insight into the Fed's uh, communications within the, the the group and whether they're trending or they're seeing the market get uh, kind of as as weak as we've been seeing it here of late. So uh, that'll be interesting. Also next week we have housing starts next this week. Also we have housing this starts week, tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, and existing home sales on Thursday, along with uh, Philly Fed and leading indicators. And then CPI comes out on Friday. Going to be an active week. Again, it's a lot of housing data coming out. It'll be really interesting to see what happens. Um, as the uh, We've already received the builder report. Uh, that one came in below expectations, as you said. That was just interesting. It'll be interesting yes. to see that it came in today. Yeah. Builders, yeah, it came in at 54 versus the consensus of 57, and it came in below last month. So that's interesting. There's a little shift, still a positive number overall. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, over, above 50 is positive. You know, so we're a little, yeah. a little above, but a little above. But uh, with housing starts and existing home sales coming out, yeah, those are going to be the, the big tellers. But again, like you said, the big one is the FOMC Federal Open Market Committee meeting. That is going to be the big one that we'll be paying attention to. See if there's any new indication. It's also the most interesting part of that, Joe, is the chatter that goes on between the various um, governors and, and those that are hawkish and those are dovish. That seems to be more of a polarization there. So look forward to your right. – I'll be dialed into your website every single minute watching go. all of this. Folks, you need to be folks. If you're not listeners, do it. Uh, get signed up. Use this service. It's really valuable. We'll be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteland delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect and know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS mbsquoteline.com mbsquoteline.com 646-716-4972 The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. And we have back with us Paul Mallow of www.imfnews.com Good to have you with us dialed in, Paul. Appreciate it very much. Thank you, David. I'm looking on? at, you know, it's just like Aquin can never get away from the spotlight. <laughs> you got this story covered again. I'm just, as I recognize and read this, I'm going, are you kidding me? Man, talk but about Aquin is Aquin is just the gift that keeps giving, um, at least for journalists, you know. Yes. Uh, you know, they think I'm picking on them, and, you know, it's, you know listen, they're, they're one of the largest non-bankers no. out there. They continue to make news. They put out, you know, one of their filings, their cues, uh, and, you know, they, they make certain disclosures, which we appreciate. And, you know, 
and we've reported on a lot of their disclosures. Everyone knows they're being looked at and have been looked at and settled with this and that. But this one sort of caught our, caught our eye uh, with Brandon Ivey, a story we did today. You know, it looks like the SEC is conducting an investigation. It looks very preliminary about the use of collection agents, mortgage collection agencies, um, by servicers. Uh, you know, we have no information about how serious this is. Could be just one of these routine things, uh, but it, you know, it certainly can't help Aquin. And, and but what, what yeah. makes it more intriguing? If it was just about Aquin, we probably would have put him so high up in the ranking in the, in the story list today. Is that it? Aquin mentions in there. And says we believe that the letter was also sent to other companies in the industry, and you got to wonder, you know, what's going on here. And you know, I've been hearing a ton of complaints the last two years, but you know, over the last six months, you know, servicers, lenders are just getting really tired of the regulatory, you know, burdens that they're facing. Some guys are heading for the exit. Some, you know, some basically see this as a business opportunity because some someone heads for the exit. Yeah. You know, it's an opportunity for them to get bigger, and they'll, you know, they'll put yep. up with it because uh, they've spent the money on compliance and lawyers, and you know, that's what it boils down to. Do you want to spend the money on compliance and lawyers and be in this industry long term, uh, unless you think there'll be a Republican administration or, you know, whoever in in 2000 and in 16, and let's just say theoretically you have a Republican in the White House and the House and the Senate, are they going to finally do something about all this regulatory, what some believe is you know too much regu- regulation, and give some regu- relief to the industry and, and cut some of these burdens that we keep hearing about? And you know, uh, you know, we got 18 months to go, so we'll we'll see. But it's yeah. continues to be a story, and I, you know, I can't. Uh, you know, people ask me about Aquin all the time, and you know, I, I can't give my opinion because I I don't know where they're headed. Uh, you know, they're selling servicing. They're going to be a bigger lender. Uh, that's what they keep saying. Uh, you know, we'll we, you know they're we'll see how it pans out. Their stock is stabilized, and um, you know, and then at the same time, we have a somewhat positive story of how Aquin basically said uh, that has taken extensive steps to ensure that it's got ad- adequate sources of financing. And, and they mentioned uh, in April they agreed to $125 million in backup financing. You know, they're not a big they're not a big originator. So, uh, you know, we'll just see how this thing rides out. Uh, third story in our cube by Brandon also. Uh, you know, we tracked the numbers. There's roughly $320 billion yes. of subprime servicing left out there, and this is compared to like $1.2 trillion at the peak back in uh, 10 years ago. So, you know, we had $1.2, trillion, whatever. Now there's just $320 billion in subprime mortgage servicing rights, uh, you know, left out there. And let's face it, whatever's left is going to perform fairly well because of it. You know, if it was crap, it would have went delinquent at this point. So uh, there's, it's basically right. a data story uh, on our website. Uh, Brandon also has one out there about HLSS, Home Loan Servicing Solutions. They bought... Uh, New Res bought HLSS, which was which had ties to Aquin, and uh, that deal basically allowed them to gain a significant portion of cleanup calls on outstanding uh, non-agency MBS. I think it's something. Oh, uh, it's in the story there, two hundred thirty-five billion dollars. So, yeah. uh, also uh, an update on on where the servicing values are. Rates have been up, and um, servicing values have been uh, up as well. So that's good news for the industry, yeah. as long as you're trying to sell or hold. Uh, MSRs in the in the short take section we have uh, uh, just a real note about Ellie Mae. We've been tracking this company for quite some time. Haven't really looked at it lately. They had you know decent earnings, revenue growth, but you know their stock has hit sixty three dollars a share. 
I think their 52-week high is like 67. Their 52-week low is like 25. I mean, it's you know, it's it's really up there. Um, you know, there were some yeah, short sellers targeting it. I checked the short numbers, and it doesn't look like the shorts are all over the stock anymore. Uh, but their price-to-earnings no. ratio is huge. It's it's 106, yes. which which means know. you know you have that kind of PE ratio. You better be a a growth story that comes through for your investors. So <laughs> that's an interesting company to watch in the year ahead. So that's uh, that's all the all the good stuff. Good stuff. Lots of good stuff in your lending, lending to flippers. Uh, that's an interesting. I mean, you just got a lot of great right, content. Always do. Yeah, yeah. yeah auction.com. I think it's really fast. That stuff. They do a nice job. Yeah, they really do. I mean, they it, it, you just got some great stories in here, and I just one of those places I always look at this and uh, read it, as well as Rob Crispin, some of the stuff that's out there. But you do a great job with this. I encourage people to sign up for the service. And, uh, folks, if you're looking to advertise somewhere, by the way, this is a great place. They get a lot of great traffic to this website. I encourage you to consider doing that as well. So good word for you, Paul, and the good job you do. So greet everyone around there. Folks, check Thank it out you. at www.imfnews.com. And uh, talk to you soon. Paul, have a great week. Have us forward to having you back next week. All right. Bye-bye. You Blessings. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, let's get out and talk to Alice Alvey out there. You're, you're not traveling this week, or are I mean, well, you traveling? It seems like all the time. You're, you're, you're jumping around the nation like as much as, as I am sometimes. But it's good to – you're in Detroit today talking to us, correct? Yes, I am here in Detroit. And, and it's a spring sprung fully up there. I mean, you're not dealing with the tornadoes and thunderstorms that we are down here yet. I guess that's coming your way as it gets a little closer in the spring. Well, we have Damn, a nice one thing about Michigan is we don't really have catastrophic weather. I mean, we have the occasional tornado and severe weather, but we don't have it like you guys do. So I think that's why well, I will like tell you, I, <laughs> I flew in there this winter, and it was a blizzard. That, to someone who lives in the south, seems <laughs> catastrophic. So that you, you, you define catastrophic in a different way. So, I mean, blizzards are, anyway, just joking on that. What do you have yes, for us today, Alice? No. What's some of the things that you're paying attention to? By the way, looking forward to your participation in this hot topic today. But you know, what's what's on the legislative update? Well, the main thing on the legislative update, I think we may have talked about a little bit last week, but just want to give everyone an update as we have a chance to digest it a little bit more. So we have the Financial Regulatory Improvement Act of 2015 that has been presented by Senator Shelby, and it's another 216 pages, and it's got a lot of it's 165 little sections, and that kind of number is just there to let you know you've got a lot of things they tried to cram into one piece of legislation, which I, I don't know if that works. We ended up with it under Dodd-Frank, as you know. So this is really trying to undo a few things. It's trying to set some boundaries uh, for Fannie and Freddie, essentially to prohibit that there's any kind of um, – I don't know, beside this behind-the-scenes presidential action that might keep them rolling or ever give them a chance to be private again and making sure we set up a new entity to be able to handle the secondary market activities uh, that we know and need them for. So there's some that, that's some of the components, but it's also combining some of the rules that I've talked about in the past, some of the other bills. So those will all fall off of my list for tracking. 
and going forward we'll be watching this bill and see what it keeps and changes. Um, so, for example, the idea of having a qualified mortgage protection for a creditor who keeps a loan in portfolio, right? If I want to hold it, then I have a QM exemption I have a, or QM safe harbor. So that's a component within that. Um, trying to amend the Truth in Lending Act has been on the, on the table to try and amend how we do the points and fees test. That's now in here, but really just in the form of do a study on it, just determine the impact to the customer with the QM um, points and fees test. Another component within the rule is to try and remove the three-day waiting period we all keep talking about. And uh, Dave, I know we were, we're going to cover that perhaps in our next segment a little bit about the three-day waiting period and really just trying to how the closing disclosure and starting that three-day waiting period impacts our relationship with the title companies as well as the new five-page form. Um, also trying to eliminate the barrier for loan originators who want to move between states, right, or who want to move um, between depository and non-depository entities. Um, so trying to make it easier for folks to carry kind of a temporary license for 120 days and uh, be able to originate. So there's, I think there's some important things that really touch on everybody from those who are looking for a whole gamut change and let's solve Fannie and Freddie, uh, even down to the originator level and for some simple things for the community banks as well within this legislation. So it'll, um, when it's that big and covers that many areas, it's hard to see whether or not it'll move forward, but we will keep watching it for you to make sure that the, the parts that are important to us stay in place and let you know if you need to take any action. Right now it's just in kind of this discovery and they're talking about it um, mode. If those of you like to get involved early, now is not too early to reach out to your congressman if there's some parts of this uh, that you like or don't like. Um, so that's in terms of rules that we're watching or um, the main thing, obviously everyone's knee deep in trying to implement their TILA RESPA integrated disclosures. If I were to give a barometer to you on where you should be today, you should have your workflow maps, charts, whatever term you want, you should have your workflow completely mapped out by now. Maybe you've got a few sticky notes in there that, or comment bubbles that tell you uh, some follow-up on policy, but those should be done for every single process from application through the touch points and servicing. From there, you should also by now have draft policies should be done and procedures should be fairly well along. Um, I understand you're probably going to still be waiting for some user guide information from your LOS providers. Maybe they've given you some foundation to work with. Um, maybe you're not at the screen level yet for your customizations for your screens, but those should all be really done by in the next 30 days in order for you to be able to facilitate getting the training that you need done for your team members um, in July and into June and July. So we are really up against the wire here, folks. And if you are finding your resources are tapped out, don't hesitate to give us a call. We have uh, folks in all levels of expertise in, uh, in procedure development, procedure writing, process analysis. Um, our team is fully equipped to be able to help you get across the finish line in time because no extension or safe harbor in sight today. So that's my report today, Dave. I'll pass it back to you. Hello, Dave. That's what happens when I go sip a cup of coffee and forget to turn my mic back on, Alice. I took, didn't want everyone to hear me gulping down some coffee. Yeah, David Stevens talked about the transitional licensing uh, last week. It was really important, and so okay. uh, a lot of feedback on last week's broadcast. So good stuff. I mean, it's things we need to be talking about 
And certainly, you know, that's why we're doing the broadcast today. There are a number of people that we're talking to that are up against the wire. And so we're going to be talking extensively about that in the Hot Topic segment. So appreciate you joining in with us, folks. We're going to be right back with uh, Sam Garcia and then the Prophet Doctor right after this brief break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. Ah, it's good to have you with us, everybody. Appreciate you tuning in. Again, this is the Looking on Lending Road program, and we're going to be talking about TRID Preparedness in a minute. But first of all, let's head over to Sam Garcia, get an update on some of the headlines he's tracking and some of the data. I love your service, uh, your website, Sam, because it's got great resources for those of us who kind of like the data geeks in us that you, you, you kind of feed that data geek thing in us. So appreciate you being on the broadcast. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, and I appreciate being on the broadcast. Um, We got our uh, mortgage market index last week, came in a little bit lower than the week before, but what was uh, interesting was that ARM activity actually moved up uh, 5%, so it was the biggest uh, gainer on a week-to-week basis. Uh, Provident Funding, they provided us uh, information for our mortgage origination survey uh, for the first quarter. Their origination soared 60%, 60%, 60% from the fourth quarter to the first quarter of this year. That's some of the strongest activity we've seen so far. Um, We reported on a Can I ask uh, a question on that, Sam? Did they, yeah, yeah, yeah. On sure. that note, did they attribute it to any particular is it a product that they have or what's the the surgeries is just because everyone anticipates rates going up and so they're jumping on it now. Any sense for that? Uh no, um but I will say that you know in the past they had kind of been trending down for uh, a few quarters so that was a nice uh, comeback for them. But no, they didn't provide yeah, details yeah. about what happened. Yeah, okay. Um we we covered a report last week from Realty Track, and that tracks loan originations across the country. Uh, basically, it showed that uh, first quarter mortgage production by all lenders was up nearly a third from a year earlier. And if we look at just the San Jose area, the production was up 72%. So that was the, the strongest gainer of any metropolitan statistical area in the country. Um, there was a survey that was uh, published last week by the American Bankers Association, and it found that 36% of the banks had uh, said their vendors had still not uh, provided a solid delivery date for the integrated disclosures. And that survey also said that a fifth of the respondents uh, won't offer a particular product if compliance won't be met with the vendor system by the date. So could be a little bit of impact based on TRID uh, for some products that uh, if the compliance isn't there from the vendors. Um, Loan performance, we saw that 90-day mortgage delinquency was down between February and March. And, in fact, it fell to the lowest rate it's been since May 2008. Um, that was from CoreLogic, by the way. Aquin, mm. Aquin uh, last week uh, disclosed that it was going to unload $45 billion, or MSRs on $45 billion in Fannie Mae loans. And uh, Chase is the buyer on that. 
and the seller is uh, Aquin Loan Servicing. Um, yeah. We, we, we covered a bank failure uh, last week, and the reason I'm bringing that up is because we cover all the bank failures, but uh, this particular one, Edge, Edgebrook Bank in Chicago, uh, turns out it was only the fifth failure this, so far this year, and I think that's significant because if you look back at 2010, there were 68 FDIC-insured banks that had failed by this date, and, and, and that wow. year uh, saw a total of 157, so... Uh, we could see that that kind of activity has really subsided, and uh, it looks like banks really have gotten a hold of their financials based on just the number of failures we've seen recently and how much they've dropped. Yeah, that's good to see. Well, it's a lot of good data that you track, and uh, just some, another angle of the what's going on across the industry. Appreciate you being a part of the broadcast, Sam. Hope you have a good rest of the week, and the thunderstorms don't get too severe up there for you. We've been enjoying some crazy weather down here, so. We'll compare notes the, next week. Huh? We'll compare notes. All right, friends. Seth, good to have you with us. Profit Doctor, let's head on over and get to the Profit Doctor. He's in the house. And always uh, here. You're traveling, but it's good to have you dialing in and getting sharing with us your wisdom. So your thoughts for us today. Dave, it's always a pleasure to be here with you on Licking on Lending. It's the highlight of my week. <laughs> well, thank you, friend. <laughs> well, so, uh, a couple of quick thoughts. First off, first off, if, if you hear anything on this broadcast, aside from what we're about to talk about with our special guest, hear what Alice Alvey just said. You need to go back and write that down. She gave you exactly where you need to be today. So your flow mm-hmm. and your screens and your screen update and your, and your LOS uh, design, got to be where, you know, go back and pay attention and write that down and then call your vendor this afternoon and say, oh, by the way, Alice Alvey said I have to be here, are we? And get something in writing. That'll make her popular. (laughs) And get it in writing from them. Make them reply. I don't care. I'm used to blame for stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in operations. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. You've taken heat for years, decades. Always get blamed. So, you know, that's so important. You've got to be on the track because – this is an amazing opportunity. It's it's a hassle. People see it as a hassle. It's also an amazing opportunity because this is about change yeah. management. It's about process assessment. This is the opportunity for us to really start learning about what does it mean to manage a change within our organization, whether if it's IT or process flow or anything. And so we're going to do our assessment of how how we're doing it and understand what we need to do. We're going to identify <clears throat> the steps that need to be improved. And we're going to come up with our improvement plan. And if, if you really want to understand how to implement an improvement plan, you need to get a hold of Dave Lekin. He's He has become the Vizio king and understands <laughs> everything about how to implement a process improvement plan. So you're going, to, you're going to come up with your plan, you're going to implement it, and then you're going to go back and validate it. You've got to make sure that the TRID structure you're putting in place really is what you thought it was. So this is a, this this yeah. process that everybody has to implement can now be applied to other stuff too, origination activity, yeah. other origin, other operations activity, secondary marketing interface, loan delivery, shipping, closing. I mean, this skill set that we as an industry are having to implement is a fantastic opportunity to take this skill set and make all of our businesses in every aspect of our business better than we were before. So I yes. think we've got to turn this into 
when you get a bunch of lemons, you're going to make some yummy lemonade. So let's use this right. as the opportunity to make ourselves a great big pitcher of lemonade and be really good at what we do and be able to document it and demonstrate it. So there you go, Dave. Yep. That's good stuff. Good, good, good. We can't wait to get in. That's great. It's a great prelude as we get into the hot topic segment because it, it is really going to be those that have the right attitude and approach this in a planned way. And, yeah, I'm going to quote Alice Alvey on this one a lot and uh, use that that soundbite she gave us. It's big time. Where's you at? This, what's that? We're going to get into that a little bit later in the broadcast, everybody. So stay tuned. But, Andy, thank you so much. Good to have you with us, especially when you're traveling and uh, dialing in for us. We appreciate it. We're going to be in with a hot topic. We've got we've got David Lord joining us, uh, who has uh, we've had him on the broadcast in the past. Going to have him join in on the broadcast here in just a little bit. We'll be right back after this brief break. Mortgage Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from best efforts to hedging, or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success. Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level and guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New warehouse lines of credit, broker to banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact a Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512-977-9900. It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Good to have you with us, everybody. Joining us on this segment, we've got all the regulars, but we're also bringing in David Lord. David is someone who was introduced to me by Alice Alvey. You know, you know by the company you keep, and Alice keeps some really good companies. So I opened up to David, uh, who has was a uh, helped really design some vehicles there at GM at General Motors in Detroit, and he brings a lot of those processes in to working with lenders and and so he's done a great job with some lenders up there and is now very close working with Alice and now is working with me and I would say Alice thank you so much for the introduction of David uh, I think this guy's going to be busy between all of us it's going to be we're going to keep him pretty active and busy so David good to have you on the broadcast appreciate you tuning in I want to make sure you're there for this discussion it's good to be here David thanks for having me yeah, on good day it's always always a pleasure, Alice. There's probably no one that's been sounding the alarm on trade preparedness, uh, really getting ready for it, setting up timelines that really are essential. And, and you did a great job talking about that. I'm going to be quoting you a lot in this. And there's just so much to do. And I ran across a video, a YouTube video that's from the American Land Title Association. It came out of their annual conference that was in Seattle. And I believe this was in December um, uh, of this last year. And and it really underscored to me the coordination of every, every aspect of what's going on here. I've, I've had Andy listen to pieces of it. And he goes, wow, there's some new information here. Now, for Alice, she, she lives in this world. So this has not been such a big shock. It's a thing she's been trying to tell everybody for some time. But I really wanted to focus in on this topic to really help those that might not, that may feel a little bit behind the eight ball, 
uh, to really get into it. So, Alice, I'm going to really start with you in leading off this discussion. Um, and again, thank you for introducing me to David Lord. What, what a just a really a great resource for all of us uh, in working on this. But Alice, let's get talking about some of the nuances. One of the things a lot of people are locked into thinking is that to really be ready, they're thinking three days. We need to send this disclosure out three days. It's not three days, and you've been saying that for a while. It's more like five days that are really adding to that because it has to. You have to have evidence that it's in the hands of the consumer three days in advance. So talk a little bit about that, Alice, and then some of the other nuances that, you know, I know you probably haven't had a chance to listen to the ATLA uh, video that I sent out, but um, give us your perspective on that. Absolutely. And uh, so I think, and I would like to kind of, uh, I'll, I'll loop you in here too, David, uh, David Lord, in a minute, because one of the things David and I were just spending time with was a was with a closing department and trying to think through all the if this, then that. So in your perfect world, you have three days. I, sa- I was saying five in terms of when do I have to have things ready from a, you know, processing and underwriting. I've got to have, a, when do I have to have a clear to close, right? Or do I have, right. can I have systems that run parallel? So there's that entire discussion. But if, if you say, okay, I've got that process to a point where I can say, I am now able to deliver the disclosures to my client. Maybe you are thinking you have a full electronic pass. Well, what if the customer doesn't respond? You send them electronically. You've got everything planned to close in you know, the very tight three-day time frame, but your borrower has a technology problem or they forget they have to do all of this on that day. You've left yourself no window for error in the customer receiving and acknowledging receipt of those disclosures then do you so do you have an automatic path to now the papers going out um the loan officers getting in their car and driving <laughs> the, you know, <laughs> all of that yeah. what's my plan b if my electronic process doesn't work which i think as andy was referencing before the show I mean, you really could end up needing seven days or more, right? I've got to now the borrower has yeah. to have it for three days. Then my three days start. Or I'm sorry, I have to. I may trigger the mail rule under Mortgage Disclosure Improvement Act, which now that they have to prove receipt, and receipt may not be for three days from mailing, and then my actual three day for consummation starts to click. So Dave and I were working through this with a client, and what a project manager can help you with is as you're talking through this, you can keep your day organized. And you, at the end yes. of the thing, you have success in your action items and your process flows. So anyway, yeah. with all those, it's just then that. <laughs> well, let's go over to you, Dave, because, uh, you know, well, David Lord and David Licken, so we're going to maybe be Lord and Licken here. So, uh uh, anyway, David Lord, what I would like to get is when you're working with someone, I, what, really what we want to do, listeners, is equip you with some tools, some basic tools uh, to really kind of help you if you're working through this on your own. I, I really get concerned about people that are trying to do this on your own because I think the thing that I see happening out there is we get we, – we don't see our own blind spots. I mean, that's what a definition of a blind spot is. It's blind. You don't see what's out there, and I think it's really essential – that you avail yourself to other people that are out there in the marketplace. And so Alice uses you, David. I'm, you know, thankfully getting a chance to work with you some. So what is it that you see that would be some tips to people that are needing to evaluate their process and really start looking at it? What are some tools that you would suggest that they start with if they're going to try to do this on their own? Well, one thing, uh, just as uh, people, uh, we all have our different perspectives 
And because we do, uh, we have found that if you can visualize uh, your system, your processes, so people can see them, and what Alice was talking about earlier, hopefully everyone does have their processes, their systems uh, identified. But uh, if you could find a workspace within your organization, what we would call a situation room, a war room, a work room, where you can actually put your whole system up on the wall from origination all the way through closing, let's say, because people have to see where they fit into the flow because the game is you have anywhere from 30 days or maybe less or a little bit more as soon as the clock starts to have uh, information flow through your system. And this information must be on time. It must be correct and accurate. So uh, you need to uh, find a place so there is a shared understanding. And if you're a manager or a leader of this organization, you want to see it for yourself to give you a sense that things are done and things uh, uh, and people do have that shared understanding. Well, one thing that we've recognized is that there is not a one-size-fits-all. And I think the biggest mistake everyone's trying to do here is try to, to what is the way. Well, I think you each of us have nuances in the way we go about certain aspects of our business. And there are some companies that have very distinct business models that are quite different from others. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking about you know the generic stuff there's ways each company goes about things that can can really do that so we had talked about Andy had mentioned about the fact that uh Visio is one of the things I work with extensively I have learned I think that that can get too complicated at times you really introduced me to the post-it process and I'm so impressed with how you just take these things and you break down the complex by just saying what's the most important thing you want to accomplish and you start listing out through post-it so if someone has a wall, this war room. Describe that a little bit, and especially as it relates to this specific um, this, this specific area of what when someone's trying to figure out their current processes. If they don't have them mapped out, many don't, what is the best way to get started well, on it? It's post-its on a wall, would you say? Or is it you know, getting well, busy on trying to well, figure out that? Uh, let me just go back to the experience that Alice was talking about. Just realize when Alice and I showed up, uh, that was the first time that we met with some of these people, and that's a sacred place for them. Uh, The phrase I like to say, uh, will people allow you in their sandbox to play? And what was so Mm. great about working with Alice, uh, because she had some of the right questions, we were able to take those sticky notes, the post-it notes, and actually have them write it down and put it up so it was a way that they knew that we were listening and that we were truly understanding their process. Now, of course, David, as you know, once you get that documented, there is a tool of Visio that you can transform those sticky notes into a, yes. a document that then you can present to other people. I think that's that tool is just so powerful. I'm using it in more and more, and I have so many ideas for Alice. I get on the phone with Alice, and I get so excited because once you have that, what you can embed in that. And my goal is to not only map your processes, but embed all of Alice's training material into these videos or into these videos, so people can really have a, a solid replicable process. 
And I think that's where a lot of people struggle with yeah. is they put they create these processes and then they walk away from it. But that's not how the auto industry works. I mean, just relate briefly, and then I want to come back to Allison. We're going to get Andy in this in just a minute. But in when you're creating a vehicle and you're going through a detailed process, don't want to spend a lot of time on this because we just have so little time. But relate to this to build a a car that that comes out the same way every time. Uh, you know, it's really critical. I mean, so. Bring that perspective to the industry and what you've learned with a few okay. of the companies that you're working with within our industry. Well, I think um, well, it's really critical between uh, departments, whether it's engineering or production or manufacturing, you needed to understand the handoff. Uh, there was someone there you go. and there was someone receiving. So um, what I appreciated working with Alice we really understood what does the closing department need to receive so they can do their work successfully. So once you have that complete system of work, you can then identify where those critical handoffs are and make sure you get the people from that department who are the people responsible to send the information to the next department, get the folks that are responsible to receive, get them in this war room and make sure they reach a consensus on what that handoff is. I think that was one of the most critical things that I learned in the auto industry is making sure you had a shared understanding between departments. That's a great term. Shared understanding is really how to do those handoffs. Alice, you want to add some comment to that? Because you've seen it work and you've certainly seen what it doesn't work. Well, what I what I saw that was an amazing transformation for this team, and it was an excellent group of people, um, you know, everyone's rushed, everyone's panicked, and everyone has kind of their hot buttons in their head. I have to figure out the three-day waiting period. What am I going to do about, you know, the paper disclosures? Should I consider specialized closing functions? Um, should I, you know, I have this one particular system issue. What should I do there? You know, there, I mean, literally, you know, the, the people start to get to, I've got this very granular list that I think if I solve these six things, then I'll solve all my problems. And what you find is that's, those things are just cramping up people being able to actually solve the process. And um, right. getting the team together helps you elevate out of grant those singular focus issues and make it a broader issue of I've got to get to here. I've got to get that I've outlined a process that says I will have the right waiting period. Um, my people will get a clear file to me, a clear to close. What's efficient for my closer to start working on? Uh, when can I? How am I going to trigger that that three days starts? How am I going to solve for working with my title company? And then when my three days uh, is passed, now what am I going to do? What are my steps? And if you st- and when you stay at that level and you make sure you watch, then you can fill in that next layer of real questions of trying to find the skill set for the people. Uh, that's the other thing that starts to jam people up. They go, well, my closers, they can't do all that now. I mean, we've just taken their job. And Andy brought up earlier about capacity. Your closers oh, yes. are going to lose capacity in this new world. Every, you know, uh, closers and processors and originators in particular. So if you stay at the high level, don't let yourself get bogged down in that. Get the high level solved, then you can solve for each of the second layer problems after that. And that's where David was really helpful in, in keeping people at that high level list. And then at the end of the day, we walked out with the granular list assigned to various people to solve. 
Andy, you're familiar with the process flow. You talk about it, especially when it comes to accounting and stuff. But uh, this is really something I'd love to get you jumped in. Then I'm going to head over to Joe, get some of his thoughts from the outside uh, looking into this. So, Andy? Well, the, the, uh, Alice made a great point in that everybody feels rushed. Everybody feels panicked. And I'm sure everybody listening to this uh, broadcast today understood every word that Alice said about understanding the closing process. But the problem happens is when you then start to then, okay, now what are we going to do about it? What's step one? What's step two? What's step 367? And that's where people freak out. And that goes all the way back to David's very first point. You've got to have, he said, have a war room. You've got to have yeah. a structured approach to implement the change. So you you know get a big get a big whiteboard, a big marker board, and you write down some of the main elements: origination, processing, underwriting, closing, transfers. You're, or you make it even more granular than that. Pull up the yellow stickies and start writing down all the ideas. When I was at Bank of America, we had a very comprehensive process management process (PMP) process that we had to follow. Because it was such a huge organization at the time, it was you know five hundred billion dollar bank, and so when when I in the mortgage group was trying to interface with a bunch, all these other departments, we had to have a very structured approach, and that's what you have to do with this. You can't wing it. You can't do it on the back of a napkin. You can't do it with a, just a yellow sticky note alone. You've got to have a board as a baseline to track everything, and then put everything in order step by step. And it, it's like you know, if you're going to run over to the refrigerator and make a sandwich and you get the mayonnaise out and you go back and then, oh, I need some bread. Go back and get the bread. Oh, I need lunch meat. Go back and get the lunch meat. You know, you just need to document <laughs> what you do and how you do it. And then when you have an assembly line making sandwiches because you're going to go on a picnic, you got to assign people's duties. You know, you're going to put the mayonnaise on. Don't put mayonnaise on that one. So it's just, I, I guess the I, biggest point I move is, closer to home. Yeah, go ahead. Make your second. I'm sorry. No, no, yeah. no. no you're, I'm sorry, Dave. You, you're going to make the point for me. It's slow down, write it down, yeah. make a note, keep track of it, and then move it around. And then the reality we faced at Bank of America was that the answer will reveal itself. That's what we used to always say. The answer is yeah. there. The answer yeah. will reveal itself. So you, but you've got to yeah, get David, all the pieces outlined. David. Yeah, David, David Lord does that so well. He says he believes, in, and I do too, that the answer is oftentimes within ourselves. But we, those are blind spots. Help. We need help from the outside to really be able to identify those blind spots. And then when you address them, you start realizing, well, that really wasn't as big a blind spot as I, I thought it would be. Joe, I know you sit and watch the markets all the time. So I just want to get your perspective on all this discussion. Because, you know, after you got out of your last mortgage company and you were – fortunate to just look at one aspect of it, the markets, which, you know, sometimes I think it's so simple, then I think it's so complicated. As you listen to this, what are your thoughts? What are the thoughts going through you on this whole process? Well, uh, kind of Andy, Andy just said the answer will reveal itself, and what I'm thinking is what are the questions? You know, what are, what yeah. are four or five of the things that people out there uh, need to need to focus on. I know. Uh, let's say that we've already gone through that big level. Uh, what are some of those next level down th problems that that people need to be working on as a solution to? What are the things that haven't been thought about? 
Well, I think it's the for, for the reason I bring up the ALTA uh, American Land Title Association video is I think there's some aspects. I mean, again, these are things that are not strange to concepts to or new information to folks like Alice who track this all the time. But it, there's a lot of information in there that several how I learned about it is uh, one of our clients called me and said, Dave, we just saw this video, and I go. I've been we've been talking about this on the radio for some time, but it's the coordination between the title closing and escrow, and the, the it's not three days, it's five days. And I think people get locked and start some of that. So I think one of the leading questions, and I'm going to go back to Alice to answer that because I want I think that's right. It starts with asking the right question, which is David Lord was making comment too. But it really says, what is your understanding of what's necessary? I mean, you start at the high level and you start drilling in is what do you think it is? And when I ask that question with a lot of people, they're saying, well, I know I have to get the disclosures out, and you know, I've got three more days i got to add to my process. And I go, uh, no, it's really not three days. It's longer than that. Alice, what are some of the other questions that you think that they should be asking themselves? Because it starts with the right, asking the right questions. I agree with that. Yeah, so um, two things. I, w- I don't want to forget to go back to Joe and ask him about the, the rate issue that, that touches this. You know, obviously in now, yeah. like, said um we're the market's right now trying to close loans in 30 days or less that's what you have on most purchase contracts and you're not going to all of a sudden get 35 days um a lot of markets don't feel that the realtors will make that change so i think the first thing question you have to ask yourself is am i trying to re-engineer my process to be a new competitive force because there are companies out there that will be doing that and they will go down to being able to say i can still honor your 30-day lock even in the trid world and that's a Mm -hmm. very firm objective at the very start and if you say that now means i have to like you said shave off five some odd days you can't look at your closing department and say Find me three days or four days <laughs> exactly. or five days, right? That's, that that's has at the beginning. Right. You guys go figure it out, and over here in origination, we're going to keep doing what we've been doing. you got to go back to each group has to commit at a minimum to find 24 hours, and I would say originators have to find the three days. And then if you're yep. looking, if you're build, working with five days, then processing can try and find a day from the borrower coordination, and uh, um, closing will try and find their day in their title company coordination. Underwriters, their role isn't impacted by this. They're, you give them a clean file, they'll be able to get it out. You give them a you know yep. a muddy file and wait for your conditions, right? Um, so I think the, some of the other things, what we're actually doing is building a list. People have asked us to make a list. What are the things that a loan originator is going to impact the LO, impact the processor, and impact the closer? And I think, Joe, that list gets to you know the weeds of um, the originators managing the realtors, um, have they talked about that relationship? Have the, are, are the companies knowing what their title companies are going to be? What is their communication going to be with the title company to get the fees uh, to be able to then um, issue the CD on time? Um, so that at least I, I could get very granular, but I know we have just a few minutes here. But we're writing a document that we think will help people look at, did I pick up on a lot of these things, these questions to ask about each job description and its impact? Um, Joe, my question for you is, you know, from the market side, have you, do your customers, you talk with them at all, or maybe it's just a heads up to maybe if you guys could find out for us in a future broadcast about rates. Um, well, you know, our company is going to be looking for longer rate locks. Are they going to, what are they going to do on the secondary side? But the, the more 
the less you have to extend the time period to close a loan, the more competitively priced you can be. So if you're actually adding five days to the process, you're going to be less competitively priced than if you were able to find those five days somewhere else. And then to the extent that you're able to do it smoothly and without last-minute issues, you're going to have fewer uh, situations where you're unable to deliver the loan into your expected uh, security, and, and you're going to have to roll the locks, and that's going to cost you or your customer money, I guess, depending on whose fault it was. And so a- absolutely it can cost you money to not be a- as good at, at this as the best guy. Yeah. Well, I think that's the number one thing. The clients that I'm talking to, they're already going out uh, another 10, 15 days on their locks. They're just assuming that they're not going to be able to find the day at the time, or they're not going to take the risk, the market risk, if they can't find the additional time. And I liked what you said, Alice, is each department is responsible for coming up for 24 hours. And you put it in there and say, don't come out until you find it. I think that's just really critical to this discussion of, you know, our you know, we have to see this as a company. It's not going to the closing department expecting them to to ring out the extra time. It, it literally starts. And so we actually have one client that is out in California that we're working with quite closely already, and they have sat down with their originators, and they're monitoring it. And then people, if you have not, listeners, if you did not listen to the broadcast with Motivity, where we had Tyler Sherman on talking about the being able to know real data, what's going on in your processes, you're just behind the eight ball. You've got to have a mechanism, a dashboard that reports in real time exactly what's going on. And I think that's really, really important. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that broadcast from May 4th. And then we did a rebroadcast on May 5th. So if you want to just listen to that segment, listen to the May 5th broadcast, special broadcast, how to create a competitive advantage in preparing for TRID. And it really involves having meaningful data. Looking at the, the time and, and where we got to wrap this up uh, for the for today's broadcast, I want to say thank you to David Lord for being here and uh, being a part of the broadcast. David, it's good to have you back on. appreciate it so much. And I'll be eternally grateful for Alice uh, introducing us. You're just a real resource and a real value to us. And, folks, if you're really looking at dealing with all of this, I want to just say it is essential that you be thinking through all this. Who are you partnering with? Uh, Alice, ourselves, David Lord, all of us are really here to really try to help you see all aspects of this. And we all bring certain levels of expertise. And so, um, but if, if it's us or anybody, just start talking. It should start with talking to your title company. You should talk with your closing uh, agents that you work with. I mean, where's everybody else? It, it, that one saying that I heard some time ago, who is it that said it recently in one of our broadcasts, it takes a village. We're really at that point. It really does take a, a really concerted, coordinated effort to do this and do it well. Um, thanks, everybody, for being on part of the broadcast. Alice, thank you so much for your commentary here. And appreciate it again for David Lord for joining in. We appreciate you tuning in. Be sure to come in next week as we'll be continuing to talk about – well, actually, next week is a is a holiday. So we are going to be on the uh, – talking about some aspects of it. I'll be doing a broadcast, so be sure to download it, enjoy your holiday, and look forward to having you back next week. We're going to be – after that, we're going to be talking about um, – the what's going on in the world of wholesale. Very exciting discussion on that. And we've got Mitch Kider booked for uh, towards the end of June. So we've got a lot of great content that we'll be talking about throughout the week. Have a great week, everybody. I look forward to seeing you back here next week. 
This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening.